I think what I like about that video <clears throat> so much is I think each and every one of us have something we could have shared at that mic. I am more convinced every passing day that nearly every human being is carrying around some kind of guilt or shame. There's things, aren't there, that we regret in our lives and we wear them around our neck like a sort of weight. And we find ourselves, I, I think, pinched in this paradoxical desire where at one hand, we wanna let it out so bad. We wanna be able to say it and speak it and own it and maybe even turn around and face those that we are speaking to. But there's that other side of us that is absolutely para that, 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 where we are absolutely petrified and paranoid that our deepest shame in secret will be discovered. I think this is true for Christians. I think this is true for non-Christians. I think we, as human beings, carry around things from our past and things of our present that we don't know how to let go of, and we don't know if we want to let go of. I think there's a whole lot of guilt and a whole lot of shame that we find ourselves in. Now last week, we saw a story of Jesus meeting with a man named Nicodemus. He is a ruler and leader in the religious life of the Jewish community of Jesus' day. And gathered at night, they're talking about <clears throat> the substantive things, our destiny, our life with God, a new life that could be found in him. And, and in it, Jesus says something that is very profound, and I need to repeat it to you again today. Jesus says that whoever believes in me will have eternal life. It goes on to say that God so loves the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. Now hone in on this next sentence. It says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let me say it again. God has not sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let me say it again. God has not sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let me say it again. God has not sent his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him, and yet you still, some of you here, are still not believing it. You are still not hearing it, even if I say it over and over again, because your guilt and your shame are so strong, and they're so real, and they're so present that you just can't believe it. But Jesus says, I have not come into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through it, through me. Jesus says, through me. 
Hear this, those of you who are mired in guilt and shame, God does not condemn you. You may have never heard these words before, or if you've heard them, you may have never believed or thought that they apply to you. They do. You are not so special that the word of God does not apply to you. God does not condemn you. And there are some of you even now who are wrestling to say, I don't know if I believe it. I can't believe it. I feel condemned. I live condemned. The track record of my life would indicate I am condemned. I cannot speak to what other people do in your life. And I cannot speak to what you do to yourself. But what I can tell you is that Jesus in black and white or depending on your translation in red and white, says, I don't condemn you. That all who call upon the name of the Lord are not condemned before God. That all who throw themselves on God's mercy because of what Christ has done for them are not condemned before God. You need to hear the words, those of you here today who carry around in silence, in secrecy, guilt and shame. God does not condemn you. You are forgiven. You are forgiven. God forgives you. But the difficulty I've seen is that for so many people, it is just so hard to believe because those of us who carry around regret Things that if we could hop back in time and change, we would in a heartbeat. Those of us who carry around that nagging internal sense of guilt, that thing that whenever it comes up, it brings us embarrassment, it brings us a sense of, 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 of stabbing or crushing, it brings us that, 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 that just deflation of spirit. Those of you who are ashamed Learning how to let go of it can be the most difficult thing. Learning how to come to terms. The good news, though, is that in this same passage that I shared with you, Jesus talks about how to let go of our guilt and our shame. Now, I want to share a passage with you, one that we didn't look at next last week. Tex, I'm going to jump the video and go to John chapter 3. Cue it up for me. We'll put it on the screen, but the good news is you'll get the video still because I know that's what your heart wants. <laughs> at the end of this, where, where Jesus says, and let me read it, red on white, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And he says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world. Jesus talks about himself as the light. And light lets you see things clearly. Light, if I can push the metaphor, takes things that we hide and exposes them. 
Jesus says, I am the light. And the light has come into the world, but people love darkness instead of light because their deeds are evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. I don't have to explain this. You know it. You know what in your heart, the things that you feel guilty for, the things that you are ashamed of and the things that you are regret, the things that frighten you, that what if someone was to find out? What would they think of me? How would they treat me? What would that mean for me? We are people who truly in many ways find comfort in the darkness. We even hate the thought that something or someone might expose our inner shame. And we don't come into that light because the thought of having it laid out there I'm not telling you anything you don't know. But Jesus says this, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen, so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. Jesus invites us to take our guilt and our shame out of the darkness and bring it to the open. What Jesus says is the way that you deal with this burden of guilt and shame is you take it out of a place of hiding and you expose it. No, not someone else exposing it on you. No, doing it yourself, exposing your own mess. That's how Jesus says to deal with guilt and shame. He says, take that stuff that is inside of you and step up to the mic and own it without excuse, without rationale, own it before God and his people. Because I find that the fuel of guilt and shame is thy trifecta of secrecy, silence, and shame. Secrecy and silence fuels guilt and shame. It gives it power. It gives it teeth. And you know it so well. But when we bring it into the light, especially the light of God, the power of secrecy and silence is broken. And that which generates guilt and shame in our life isn't quite as potent anymore. The Bible talks about how to do this. And surprisingly, it's often talked about in very simple ways ways. First, I think it might be a little helpful if I talk about these two words a little bit more. I want to talk a little bit today about a distinction between these two words of guilt and shame. 
We've all felt them. We know in ki- kind of intuitively of what they are, but sometimes I think we use them synonymously, and I'd like to just kind of parse them for a bit. Guilt, I think, is a lot like pain. Guilt is a warning sign. And just like our body will at times give us the physical sensation of pain to let us know that something is physically not right, so our soul and spirit will give us guilt to let us know that something is spiritually or emotionally not quite right. I like to think about it like an indicator light, a warning light on your car. You could be driving happily along and not know that there is anything the matter, but we've all had it. That light blings on and you get that moment of, oh, right? What is this going to mean? And if we're thorough and proactive, we get it checked out. We follow up with what we need to do with the requisite light that happens to be on. We see it through, and oftentimes, a quick little correction takes care of it. Oh, certainly some of us have warning lights on our dashboard of our soul that are perpetually on. And it's really something that's just misfunctional with the light more than it is the machine. Our family drives a 2011 Traverse. It has 276,000 miles on it. Can you believe that nonsense? My wife has been wanting a new car for four years. I think we've got another good five out of it. I don't know. (laughs) Our dashboard is a Christmas tree. For years, we have been driving with the check engine light on in our car, right? And fortunately, we live geographically in a place where we are not enslaved by that great cruel tyrant called the emissions board. We live outside of the population density and are not required to get emissions test. Go Hebron. All right? (laughs) So we're not really motivated to do anything with it. But I'll tell you this, we did get it checked. And we did get it checked early because all joking aside, I tend to be pretty proactive with that kind of stuff. And you know what the mechanic said? I don't know, there's nothing looking wrong to me. You know what the second mechanic said? I don't know, looks fine to me. You know what the third mechanic said, which was the first mechanic who we went to back again, thinking maybe we caught him on a bad day and now we'll catch him on a good day? No, it still looks fine to me. Sometimes we just have a faulty light. And sometimes some of you have such an ingrained sense of guilt, whether the fault of your parents or the fault of your own making or the fault of your upbringing or the fault of a thousand other people that you want to point the finger at, that you live in a perpetual phase of guilt. It's just a bad light. And sometimes we just need to recognize it as a faulty light in our soul. But sometimes it means something. And what I found is that guilt can actually be a good thing. None of us goes, I want more guilt in my life. None of us prays for it, but it is a powerful tool in the hand of the Holy Spirit to help you realize that something is not right in your soul. 
Have you ever met someone who can't feel physical pain? Maybe they have neuropathy in their hands or their feet. Maybe because of nerve damage or other things, they just don't feel sensation in a certain place. Or maybe they've been walking around with that tumor growing in them, but it hasn't been pushing on the right nerves and they just don't know. Do you know what the end result of that is? More often than not, death. Pain truly can be a blessing. Guilt truly can be a blessing because it can let us know that there is something going on that needs to be attended to. And how much more when we stand before a holy God knowing that we are not right and easy to rationalize our lives and be naive about the true condition and darkness of our soul that the Holy Spirit can take this powerful indicator called guilt to bling something onto you that you would otherwise ignore or neglect to let you know something that something is not right in there. Don't be afraid of your guilt. Listen to it. Evaluate it. And see if there is something that needs to be done in response to it. But I tend to think of shame differently. Shame, I think, is more of a status. A state of being. We can feel guilty, but people live in a state of shame. People can be pricked by guilt, but shame wraps around them as a new identity. God is not in the business of shame. God may use guilt as a tool to help you in your walk and development in this life, but God does not put you into a state of shame. No, God does not look upon you. God does not look upon you as someone whose identity is one of shame that has been born on a cross, that has been taken away, that all who are in Christ, their shame is an old identity. Whatever your source of shame might be, and I know it's there. The identity you've carried through your life, I know it's there. That is the old self which God invites you to take off and give to him, and he puts in some closet and then burns it and gives you a new identity in him instead. But it's hard to take off the old clothes, isn't it? They fit so well. They're so comfortable. We know them. And the thought of letting go of what we know can be more terrifying than the shame itself. And so are those of you here who live in it, hiding in it, and even in some kind of twisted way learning to revel in it, 
delighting, if you will, and laughing a bit, but often through broken eyes of some kind of shame that that's just me. Take it off. Get rid of it, Jesus says. The reality is you have a new identity in me. You do not need to be that person anymore. But it begs the question, Jesus asks, can you trust me? Can you trust me with yourself? Can you trust me with your shame? Can you trust me with a new identity? And I find when it comes to this stuff that we call guilt and shame, it's not only the big things. It's the little things, too. There are some of us here who have done some pretty horrendous things. There are some of us here who are still doing them today. It still marks us. Things you know that if, if any reasonable person looked at it, you're like, oh, yeah, that's bad. And those are the things that we're often afraid to let out. But have you noticed that often the things we feel guilty for, that we carry, I should say, the guilt around for, are often the little things? Little things that anyone else would look at and go, what's the big deal? But we know it's a big deal. Because we know how it's come to identify us. We knew how it violated our soul. Even if it was no great crime, sometimes it's these little things that cause us the most chronic guilt. Would you agree? Think about the things that bring guilt and shame in your life. How many are the big things? How many are the little things? There's a video clip I want to show you. I know you've been waiting. It's from one of my favorite movies, Grand Torino. It's a little snippet of this crotchety old man who has no business with, with the church or God in his life because he's filled with anger and cynicism. It's his journey. And we're going to see a snippet of him coming to finally honor his wife's wishes to confess to his priest. Let's kill the lights. Let's cue it up. What can I do for you, Mr. Kowalski? I'm here for a confession. Oh, Lord Jesus, what have you done? Nothing. You just take it easy now. What are you up to? Are you going to give me a confession or not? How long has it been since your last confession? Oh, forever. Bless me, Father, for I have sinned. What are your sins, my son? Well, in 1968, I kissed Betty Jablonski at the factory Christmas party. Dorothy was in the other room with the other wives. It just happened. Yes, go on. Well, I made a $900 profit selling a boat and a motor. I didn't pay the taxes. It's the same as stealing. Yes, fine. 
And lastly, I was never very close with my two sons. I don't know them. I, I didn't know how. That's it? That's it. It's, it's bothered me most of my life. Isn't that the way of it? Those little things. That's it? What do you mean that's it? It's bothered me most of my life. How many of you have been carrying around those little things that have bothered you most of your life? To an outsider, it might seem like a little thing, but you know the little things are actually the big things, aren't they? The little things are big things too, and we carry them with a sense of secrecy and a sense of silence, afraid to bring them into the light. Jesus' brother, you know Jesus had a brother? Well, now you do. Jesus' brother, James. Well, really Jacob, but English people don't translate well. He writes this. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so that you may be healed. Period. So let's just make sure. Is there any word in there that you don't understand? Shout it out if there is. Does the diction of the sentence make sense? Okay. So there's nothing here. It's not like we're reading Revelation or Daniel or something, right? There's nothing here that's confusing. Nothing here that we can't figure out. Nothing here that we don't know what to do with. We see what we're told to do, and we see the result. Let's start with the result. Being healed. Guilt and shame is a wound, isn't it? It cuts our soul up or rips open those scabs and those scars. Every time something triggers it again, we know the hurt and we know it well. Do you want to be healed? Jesus' brother says it's not that complicated. Predicated on the idea that Jesus died for you. Predicated on the idea that you are in a new state of grace. Predicated on the idea that you have a new identity. Confess your sins to each other. And pray for each other so that you may be healed. But how many of us actually do? Because the thought of taking what's deep inside of you and bringing it into the light before another human being is terrifying. Guys, I will tell you as a Lutheran pastor, this is where we as Lutherans and Protestants have so dropped the ball. The Catholics are on to something. I do not believe you have to go to a priest in order to be forgiven. But I do believe it is good to go to a Christian to be healed. 
to bring what is in darkness into the light, to confess your sin and guilt and shame to another human being is healing. Confess your sins to each other. He says, take what's in the darkness and bring it in to the light and let someone look at you in the eye and go, you know what? Jesus forgives you. And I do too. There are power in those words when someone speaks to you. Jesus forgives you. One of my greatest joys, and most people don't take me up on it much here. I will. Reach out to me. I wish we had part of our weekly life here. Private confession and absolution. We can do it in my office. We don't need a black box. But people do take me up on it from time to time. Actually, more than you might think. And to be able to kind of put myself in the place of Jesus, you know what I mean? And not because like, I think I'm anywhere equatable to Jesus, but like when you can speak Jesus' words to someone like on your lips, when I could tell someone as they're coming with their, their guilt and their shame, now I want you to hear my words as though they're Jesus' very words being spoken to you because they are. And after they share their regret, and their secret to say, I forgive you. I forgive you. Some of the most powerful words you will ever hear is from a person you have hurt looking you in the eye saying, I forgive you. But even more powerful words is when you hear Jesus himself metaphorically looking you in the eye saying, I forgive you. And those are the words we get to share with each other. But it requires coming out of the darkness and into the light. In another gospel, Jesus will share this. He says, there is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. Well, that's terrifying if nothing else is. For those of us who revel in the dark corners of our heart and soul, the promise of God to you is the day is coming, it's going to be found out. And look, this is kind of self-serving, but you know what I found? Get ahead of the narrative. If the day is coming in which all of our secrets, all of our guilt, and all of our shame are going to be exposed before God himself and publicly to the world at judgment day, oh yeah, it's not just him in a back room, and the angels themselves gathered around, I would rather go there without any secrets. Because we all know what it's like to have our secrets found out. Better to get ahead of it and say, Lord, this is who I am. Lord, this is what I've done. Yeah, that's me. Yeah, I did that. And to turn to judgment day into a laugh about it together day because the price has been paid and you are now someone clearly known of a new identity. Bring what is in the darkness into the light. Years back, 
there was a radio program. Really not a program so much, but a guy who got some airtime, and it didn't last long. He got such backlash. He called himself the forgiveness man. It didn't purport to be Christian or religious or spiritual. It wasn't on a Christian radio station. Though it didn't take long listening to the man to know that he tapped the heart of Jesus on this one. And the program worked like this. People could call in anonymously. We all know those kinds of shows. We do them here at Fellowship of Faith. They call in anonymously. And they can share any secret, confess any sin, expose any point of regret or guilt or shame in their own life. And it would be out there on the airwaves for everyone to hear. And you know what the forgiveness man would do? Nothing more than this. He would simply say when it was all laid out, I forgive you. Someone would call in. I've been abusing my kids. I forgive you. Someone would call in. I took advantage of this girl. I forgive you. Someone would call call in, I've been entrusted with a lot of authority and I've been embezzling. I forgive you. Someone would call in. I killed someone. I forgive you. And it would go on and on and on with next level secrets of guilt and shame. and the listeners couldn't take it anymore. They pulled him from the airwaves. How can those people be forgiven? How could someone like that be forgiven as easy as that? They couldn't take it, their sense of justice, their hunger for vindication. People who think of themselves very highly often have a difficult time of seeing forgiveness offered to real guilt and shame. People who are mired in their own will often try to deflect their own pain onto others too. What I've just described to you is the scandal of the Bible, it's the scandal of Christ, it's the scandal of grace. Whatever it is, You can confess it. And before God, no. He says, I forgive you and be released of the power of silence and secrecy that you can own it. And while the world may have consequences before God, there will not. And hopefully before the people of God, the same. There are some of you here so burdened 
And Jesus is offering you a path of healing from what you have been carrying in the dark. Those who live by the truth come into the light, Jesus says, so that it may be seen plainly that what has been done has now been brought into the sight of God. There's a song we're going to sing. In text, I'm going to invite you, if you would, to cue up the first verse. Look at these lyrics for a moment with me. Look at this. I've been trying to make sense of the sorrow that I feel. Does that ring true? Next line. Holding on for life to the only thing that's real. My guilt. My shame. And knowing you've only scratched the surface. Next line. I've barely had a taste. But just a glimpse draws my heart to change and one sight of you lays my sin to waste. Let me show you the chorus. Take it all. Take it all away. Magnify no other name. Open up. Open up my eyes, and today I pray as well, my heart, my secrets, my life. To you, my prayer is that this is not just a song, but a way that you can begin the journey of taking what is in the darkness and bringing it into the light of life and the forgiveness and healing that Christ offers.